0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome, listener are now plugged in to an Ethereum podcast. Your host, Evan Van Ness. This is Evan Van Ness with an Ethereum podcast. I'm here today with Ben Siegel of Consensus and the Blockchain for Social Impact Coalition.
1: Thank you for having me, Evan. It's great to be here.
0: As a way of disclaimer, disclosure, we both work for Consensus and so you can think of this podcast as being sponsored by Consensus, and any sort of conflict of interest that you might imagine or not imagine, whatever, that's there. Ben, let's let's start off by talking about you. You've been with Consensus for a while. How did you find Consensus?
1: I stumbled into Consensus in the blockchain space very accidentally. Uh, my background's in international relations, global conflict. I graduated college in April 2016. Was working on a political campaign. Always thought I would spend my entire life uh, in politics or, or diplomacy, got very fed up of politics very fast, um, started looking around tech, had done a little bit of research into blockchain my senior year of college, specifically around blockchain as a tool for humanitarian aid. As I was getting more and more fed up with the political world, I started reading a bit about Consensus. had an interview, had two job offers, one from the Clinton campaign, one from Consensus. Obviously, made the right choice. Ended up at Consensus in in August 2016, and have been there for the last, I guess, about 19 20 months.
0: So, tell me about the the Blockchain for Social Impact Coalition. When, when did you start it? How has it evolved from inception to today?
1: Social Impact Team at Consensus is kind of whole concept around blockchain for social impact. Um, Vanessa Grelet and myself back in November of 2016 really felt that the ethos of the community, you know, both within Consensus and within the broader Ethereum community was one that was very dedicated towards impact. Uh, at Consensus, we obviously have a very impactful mission and vision. Everything that we do is focused on creating a more equitable world, a, a world in which wealth is distributed, mm-hmm. you know, across all geographical locations, all, all peoples without pooling in certain places. And we found that most people who got involved with the space got involved because they wanted to have some sort of lasting impact, uh, lasting social impact on the world. So we decided that what we wanted to do was start engaging with these social impact organizations, whether they be humanitarians or impact investors, NGOs, philanthropies, U.S., uh, any sort of government agency looking at delivering aid to foreign locations, and really focusing on how we could take the long-term impact – of blockchain and that ethos of long term impact and take the actual technology and its ability to transform current systems and make them more efficient and better um, and really deliver those directly into the current social impact field uh, in the short term. This all started in in November, December 2016. Uh, In early January, we started having our first conversations with with these humanitarian organizations early January 2017, I should say. We were really focused at that point on trying to uh, sell blockchain as a solution to these organizations. I have a very clear memory of a phone call with someone from the Nature Conservancy back in early 2017, in which I kind of gave the whole consensus blockchain spiel, and the man on the phone responded with, who the hell are you? What is this wacky computer thing you're talking about? And how did you get my phone number? (laughs) Um, And that for us was really a clarifying point where we were like, okay, okay, we've got this idea. We know what we can do. The other side of this equation has absolutely no idea what we're talking about. So, so how do we go? How do we solve that? Um, how do we create a dialogue between the technologists and the humanitarian organizations to really ensure that we're building out solutions that make sense for both and actually work on the ground?
0: I'm, su- so, I'm surprised that you were getting that reaction even just a year ago, because it seems like you know, even, even a year ago, there were already things that were being developed and being announced as having already been developed that you know seemed relatively high profile.
1: So there were there were definitely projects on the on the startup side, lots of very cool social impact projects that have been around the, on the blockchain side since 2015, since really the beginning of Ethereum. I mean, we kind of saw them explode with Ethereum's whole again the whole kind of emotional stance of the community is one of social social impact. What we were focused on was helping already existing humanitarian organizations become better, you know, using what we we saw blockchain as a way to make them more efficient, more transparent deliver aid better, uh, you know, secure beneficiaries data better, whatever you want to call it. They were the ones who a year ago weren't really ready for that. So what we had to do what was start to educate them, start to have them communicating with the social entrepreneurs, the startups that existed for the last couple of years in this space. And we ended up kind of having a conversation with, a, with an impact investment fund called BOMA, who had a very similar idea um, about using the impact investing space to specifically support blockchain for social impact projects. Uh, and we were at a cocktail hour at the Rockefeller Foundation, and we were having this conversation The light bulb kind of went off in my head, and and Rhett Godfrey said, who is one of the the BOMA employees, and we said, okay, let's combine these two ideas, let's create a coalition that takes the impact investors, the social entrepreneurs, and the humanitarians and forces them to talk. Um, But let's really just go ahead and just kind of bash down those walls, those silos and open up these dialogue and this communication so that everyone has a full understanding not only of the technology, but also of the business acumen that's needed and of the humanitarian problems that we're actually trying to solve so that was really the genesis point for for the social impact coalition as a whole and it took between january 20th and may 16th 2017 to build out what at the time was about 20 something member organizations or interested organizations who took part in the initial uh, dialogue but were not comfortable at that point in time being founding members and then on may 16th we launched launched the coalition officially uh, and and then i think everything since then has kind of just rapidly exploded team has grown the the ethos has grown the most well there's been two really uh, two big validators for the work that i think we've accomplished in the last year one is the fact that now humanitarian organizations reach out to us as consensus and say hey we want to talk to the social impact team we have four five six seven use cases we're interested in exploring blockchain with can you guys help us define which one of these is best to move forward with? And that's where we wanted to be a year ago. We were definitely naive in thinking we were ready at that time, but through the kind of engagement and growth we've had with the coalition, and just the you know the 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 game of telephone that's occurred from one organization we've talked to going to the next and saying like, hey, if you guys if you guys heard about blockchain, if you heard about Ethereum, you know like look at the things we can do that dialogue has really generated a lot of momentum in the space and now we're seeing um, some really high-profile, big, impactful organizations getting involved in the space in ways that there was inconceivable a year ago. So so the the coalition is basically to get
0: people to come together and talk and then there's the like the separate which is the consensus group that works on these things and, and helps the coalition. Is that fair to say? Yeah.
1: So the coalition is a loosely confederated, loosely organized group of impact investors, NGOs, humanitarian organizations, social entrepreneurs who come together to share ideas, host events, empower social entrepreneurs across the globe um, and leverage their knowledge to inform solutions being developed for social impact. Consensus is an equal member of the coalition Um, we have up to this point in time also been the ones managing it and kind of taking on the administrative workload for it Um, but that is something that's been rewarding for us in the sense that we have uh, really been able to engage with with a demographic of organizations and people that we wouldn't have simply if we were focused on the on the blockchain space as as it existed in 2017 early 2017. What we've kind of done over the last couple of months is taken that that momentum from building out the coalition and started to say, okay, now the ecosystem is a little bit more mature. These humanitarian organizations are ready for us to work with as consensus. They're ready for us to really dive into use cases and help them develop their own models or plans of how they're going to move forward. Um, they're ready to engage with us on research and design sprints about what a blockchain solution may look like for their specific problem. Um, and, and that is... That's what we really wanted to do. Um, and the coalition was one of the most important steps we could take to get there. Um, it just wasn't one that we really understood as necessary at the beginning.
0: So I'm I'm curious, uh, flashback for a second. You, you joined and then a few months later, which is years in, in blockchain world, uh, you started the coalition. W- were you working on, on this stuff like from the very start of consensus or did, were you working on something else at first?
1: I was... One of those people who came in without a defined role, very early on, I was nominally Joe's first assistant. okay, I believe first first or second assistant kind of the first person who came on with the task of supporting Joe from day one, very heavily invested in the social impact side of, of blockchain and was kind of you know filling my most of my days back then with just exploring uh, exploring use cases and kind of developing use cases or understanding the technology in that lens more and more. Um, and it took about two and a half months. To get to a point where I went to Joe and said, hey, like, can we launch the social impact projects, the social impact circle, the social impact team, whatever you want to call it within Consensus?" And Joe said, OK, yeah, let, let's do it. Um, and that was kind of the that was the explosion of my not only of my career at Consensus, but kind of the the nail in the, the that really sealed my relationship with blockchain as a technology was um, kind of the, the creation of this team and the, uh, the project as a whole. That, that's amazing
0: that you that you got there in only a few months and uh, that's definitely you know as, as I understand it the way consensus used to work and still does to some degree but it's uh it's a little tougher now since it is growing so so quickly
1: that's Chris, a... I I walked in I took a, a four day took a four-day vacation to go camping in Maine this summer walked into the office when I came back and there were like four people I'd never seen before who looked at me and said is this your first day like how can we help you I was like you guys weren't here when I left a week ago. What's <laughs> happened?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing so much great work getting people interested in, in using Ethereum out there in, in the world. You got to keep hiring for it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so tell me about, I guess, your, your engagement model when you, you know, from, from start to finish, somebody calls you up and says, hey, I hear about this blockchain thing. You know, what should I do? Would you say that is
1: how a lot of things start these days? Um, that that's definitely how things started six months ago, where when once people started in the specifically in the social impact sector, started to get more and more interested in blockchain, they would come to us with a, uh, an idea, they would say, okay, like we, we understand what blockchain is, we maybe have a problem that involves finance or, or delivery of aid, or we have a problem surrounding the, uh, the tracking of goods from point A to point B in X, Y and Z country. How can you actually help us with this? Like, what can blockchain do? That didn't really work for a couple of reasons in the sense that people's ideas tended to be very underdeveloped and they tended to be very early stage. And, and people, the organizations at that point had an idea of what blockchain could do, but they didn't have enough of an understanding of the technology uh, to really make it feasible, make a project feasible. What we've seen over the past six months is that now organizations that now that they've had a year or two years to really do their internal research, really ha- they're bringing on people with a, with a background in blockchain or a deep understanding of blockchain. When they come to us now, they say, hey, we have this specific problem in this specific location and we have started thinking about blockchain as a potential solution for that. Can you help us narrow down our use case and really define what the best and simplest uh project is here to get this off the ground and start actually using a blockchain solution. As a result of that, we have uh, basically created a very modular engagement model in the sense that we want to make sure that anyone we're working with can be brought through a process in which we start with the use case identification. Then we start with the research and design sprint where we kind of go into the paper prototyping, start to really get an understanding of what this technology may look like and the way it may function on the ground. There's a lot of user research that has to get done there. There's a lot of human centered design that's part of that process. And when we're happy with that, it kicks into a uh, a third module, which is your more traditional software development engagement. So how are we going to work with you to build a proof of concept? The use case ideations, the workshops, the research sprints, those are exceptionally helpful for everyone. One of the things we've we've really started to do is, is we've seen a lot of people, they just want to tack blockchain on because it's sexy and they have a good idea, but there may be a bunch of reasons why blockchain won't work, even though it seems like it will. So we really use that initial engagement, that, that workshop model to dive in depth into just a specific user journey or a specific user story, whatever it is in, in, in the lens of that problem and poke holes in it so we want we want to as the social impact team at consensus be 100 percent positive that this problem needs a blockchain to be solved before we move forward a lot of the learnings and a lot of the the research we've done over the past couple of months has made us realize that blockchain technically like we know what we can do with it as a piece of technology we know what it can accomplish technically if it's not paired with heavy policy, or we as the technologists don't have a deep understanding of the social structure that it's going to be implanted into, it won't work. And it might even go as far as endangering the population that you are trying or the people that you're trying to protect. So step number one for us is ensuring that this is something that not only is feasible, but that won't be damaging, uh, won't end up causing more harm than good. And that was something that was very – I won't say it was jarring for us to learn because we never built anything that ended up on the ground harming people. But from talking to humanitarian experts – and this was kind of the whole idea behind the coalition was that we had humanitarian experts come to us and say – we're, in a, we're humanitarian innovators. We've been doing this for 30 years. Step number one for us is always understanding the malicious actors on the ground. So if we're going to do something as simple as, you know, give access to, to smartphones to people on the ground, how may a malicious government, how may a malicious gang, how may a terrorist organization co-opt that piece of technology and use it for their own good? That was eye-opening for us because we said, okay if we're going to be building technology, we should be taking the same approach. We should be really heavily focused on the social issues and the human issues, especially if we're trying to solve human issues. If we don't have a really cognizant, deep understanding of the way that humans interact and the way that these societies function, deploying a piece of technology, whether it's blockchain or anything else, isn't going to work. So we we really want to make sure that any of our engagements start with a deep understanding of the problem and the deep understanding of the people impacted by the problem. Do you ever get to point in an engagement
0: where you, they want to move forward, but you don't? Because
1: Absolutely. So, so what do you do then? You, you just say... Good luck. So, pass you on the back, is, good luck. <laughs> that is why our engagement model is so modular. So, if at the end of a workshop we decide that we don't want to move forward with this organization or with this idea, at least that organization has taken from that workshop some learnings and some ways for them to rescope and potentially have a better solution down the line. Or if we want to move forward past a workshop and go into a research and paper prototyping sprint or design a couple, couple weeks of design. At the end of that, if we're not happy with the team that we're working with, or we're not happy with the organization, or we're not happy with the problem, at least the organization there can take away from that, okay, we have this concept that still needs some work, but we're farther along than we were at the start. We have a better understanding of the technology. That's important for us, because if over the course of an engagement, what we can provide is not necessarily a working solution, but continuing to help people build out their knowledge of this technology... Down the line, that's only going to be beneficial for the blockchain space as well as for the humanitarian space. Um, If those people can leave an engagement, which I mean, I don't want to call it a failure, but leave an engagement with at the end of, of a three week research sprint, we decided that this wasn't feasible for a number of reasons. Then that puts them in a position where they can start to go back to the drawing board or they can start looking at other technologies or other tools that may help them solve their problem. And it's really important for us that we are continually helping people towards solving their problems, even if it's not necessarily deploying a blockchain solution on the ground. So an understanding of what blockchain is good for and is not good for is a great step for that, because we absolutely don't want organizations wasting time or resources on an unnecessary tool. How do you hire? I mean, you must be hiring.
0: You must have quite a bit of of demand right now. And and so you you need more resources and people that can do this. How do you find those people? How how, how do you filter out? People for technical and and humanitarian knowledge that make them qualified to go in and basically do these engagements.
1: So at this point in time, uh, we are very heavily focused on hiring engineers and designers. Like the rest of the blockchain space, there is a lot of very smart people, a lot of very smart non-technical people. I'm completely non-technical with a lot of very great ideas. Unfortunately, there is a much smaller amount of skilled engineers that are needed to make take these ideas from ideation into fruition actually get something deployed on the ground we took early on as we were more focused on use case ideation and and understanding of the technology and, and educating people on the tech very early on we were focused on bringing on people with experience in the humanitarian sector with policy experience who could help us understand the human problems on the ground help us understand the human problems on the ground in the lens of the technology. We have hired a very good a, a very good group of people with backgrounds in government and in international relations, with backgrounds in impact investing, economics, finance, community building to help out with the growth of the coalition. Now, as we are focused on building out actual solutions on the ground, um, we have started to really try and bring on engineers, designers who have spent their last five, ten years or maybe just two years working on social impact projects. So whether that's working with social entrepreneurs or working with social startups, we are really looking at hiring people uh, who have the technical capabilities as well as having a a very deep seated kind of moral compass that gels well with the team. We want to make sure that we're hiring people who are in it for the impact. We're very dedicated to uh, uh, really only working with organizations and individuals both internally and externally who feel that this is about the problems and not about their own ego or not about the money that comes with it which can be difficult especially in a space where there is token fever going around to put it lightly it can be hard to find people that whether they're partners or hires that you trust to be in it for the right reasons we really look at what people have done in the past or just kind of from talking to people if you can get a sense of their moral compass like i I personally don't want to work with someone who is like, oh yeah, social impact is sexy. Like I want to work for social impact reasons because it looks cool or it sounds cool. We want to work with people who are willing to spend 60, 70, 80 hours a week doing the research, understanding the nitty gritties of the humanitarian world, kind of understanding why there are bureaucratic problems with aid delivery, um, really getting invested and involved in the space. Uh, in the humanitarian space while simultaneously melding that with the technical capabilities to actually empower these organizations to build out solutions to solve some of the problems we're researching. You course, touched on token fever. Like anyone in the Ethereum space, there, there, is, uh, there are obviously uh, huge considerations to be done or to be taken when working with organizations surrounding tokens. We as a social impact team take a, a 90% no token approach. If a project comes to us and says, hey, like we're doing X, Y, and Z, but first here's our ICO, bluntly no interest in working with them. If we work with the project and we take them through a workshop and in the course of that workshop or that design sprint, we realize that there is a need for a token to be utilized in the system, then we can talk about it. We, we're not anti-token. We're just anti-bad token. We're anti-bad idea. There's no reason to, to overcomplicate your blockchain solution or your solution of any sort. And oftentimes when people are starting to talk about tokens in, in their social impact project, the token is an unnecessary complication and, and can lead to dangers for people on the ground.
0: Do you have any, any examples without maybe naming names uh, of places where you've found that a token
1: could be useful? Non-fungible tokens have obviously kind of blown up with CryptoKitties. One of the things we're exploring is the ability to uh, use something like a non-fungible token or an ERC-721 to empower somebody to their own land titling, their land deeds. So how does an indigenous population who maybe has access to a smartphone prove to the government or prove to the oil company coming to try and take their land that this is their land, that this is, you know, they, they own this. We, tokens, non fungible tokens as an asset ownership is something that we've definitely encountered. And, and I think it's a great idea. I think the ability to, you know, maybe use, uh, maybe tokenize plots of land as a way to protect conservation and land red and, and forests, that's awesome. What I don't like to hear are people saying that they're going to build a token and they're going to deploy it in X, Y, and Z country to help include people in the economy. It's not gonna work. And a lot of that, that's one of the issues that we have kind of, that we're looking to solve by connecting the Ethereum space to the humanitarian space where people in the Ethereum space are like, oh yeah, we're going to bring financial services via a token to this community, this rural farming community in in X geographical location. And then you have the humanitarian side that comes back and says, but they don't have smartphones, they don't have SMS phones, they don't have access to the internet. Like, what is this token actually gonna do for them? And that's, a, that's why it's so important to engage with both sides of the conversation because there's a pretty heavy infrastructure need to use tokens in these situations, especially if we're talking about tokens that are going to be kind of in, a, in an open loop cash system where people can use the tokens to interact with different vendors. A lot of the time, social entrepreneurs don't necessarily think about the needs of the population and the way that they, uh, the way that they currently transact with, with, with cash. Most of these places, people are predominantly using cash. Tokens aren't feasible in locations like that. So when an organization comes to us and says, we're going to use a token to build out this token economy in this region, that shows a lack of awareness and a lack of research done on their side about what is feasible and also maybe implies a, a different reason for wanting a token launch, which is something that we want to avoid. It's definitely rough. And that's something that I think the Ethereum space as a whole is going through is that a lot of the things people want to talk about are tokens, whereas what we should be talking about are platforms and projects and protocols that we can build to actually empower people without necessarily needing a token to do so. Moving money around is one of the
0: obvious use cases that makes a lot of sense since it's transparent and quick compared to legacy payment rails. You know, as you said, like people normally in, in developing countries are transacting in cash, so you have to have that final crypto to fiat exchange. That seems like a big barrier. How do you solve that?
1: Without getting too technical or too, going too far down routes that I can't talk about currently, there is a huge need to increase the efficiency in which uh, donations or aid finances reach the ground. In some locations right now, a donation that's made in the States or in Canada may take up to two and a half to three weeks to reach the beneficiary on the ground and ten percent of that donation is lost to multiple cross-border payments um, along that that monetary supply chain. Why does it? Why chain. does it take so long? That, I mean, that's crazy to me. Like it, it shouldn't shouldn't I take mean, that you long. Got- <laughs> going, you've got bank accounts getting verified, you've got money transfers going from one bank to a, one bank in one country to a bank in a second country, then to a bank in a third country, and then someone has to verify that it's been received by the account where it's supposed to get to, and then you have to have somebody who can actually get on the ground and take out the cash, and then they sometimes have to take out the cash in one country and find a way to s- s- safely cross a border into a fifth country or a fourth country where the aid is actually needed. We are not under the illusion that we can solve that entire, all of the problems in that supply chain. However, if we can, you know, if we can reduce the inefficiencies in two thirds of it or half of it, that has a lot of benefits. If we can maybe use some sort of crypto transaction from country one to country four and cut out countries two and three, that means the money is going to get to country five where it's needed on the ground much faster, much more efficiently. And have a a, a pretty drastic reduction in transaction fees. No, we're not going to solve all of the problems in this chain. And no, we're not going to take all of the banks out of the solution. However, if we can take those two and a half to three weeks and turn it into five to six days and take those 10% transaction fees and turn them into 5% transaction fees, that's a huge win in our books. Um, And the the impact of that is, is humongous the ability to ensure that you can actually see that your cash as a donor or as a donor organization is quickly and rapidly reaching somebody on the ground who needs to use it is huge. And then kind of diving in off getting even a little bit more in depth into the humanitarian sector there, cash donations are becoming the really the the major way the humanitarian sector is delivering aid. There are some problems with Supply based or or item based delivery over the last I think since 2011 the world food program has transitioned from 6% cash based transfer systems to 25% cash based transfer in 2017. You know, I could be very wrong there. So to anyone listening, feel free to fact check me and call me out on those numbers. But there, there's, a, there's a huge benefit in delivering cash as opposed to delivering aid. Uh, and, and Ethereum or really blo- any sort of blockchain that's dealing with financial transactions or can deal with financial tractions, there's a lot of good to be done in that space. A- and that's one of the most impactful things I think we can do with the current state of the technology. So dumb, dumb question. Why does it take five countries? Getting funds into the hands of civil society or resistance with quotations around it, organizations um, organizations that are organizations that are oppressed or are supporting oppressed populations, you start to deal with sanctions, you start to deal with the political issues surrounding this. You know, let's say you have funds that have to get into a country where there is no banking infrastructure because it's been destroyed by conflict or it's been destroyed by, by crisis or disaster or natural disaster. Then you have to find alternative routes to get the funds into those countries. And a lot of this comes down to international relations and politics, if we're being honest. If you want to help an organization in – we are not working in Iran. This is a clearly hypothetical situation, I promise. Um, If you are looking to help an organization in Iran, a U.S. citizen is going to find it very difficult to get funds to Iran. You're going to have to get funds into Canada and then from Canada into another country and then maybe into Turkey. And then you're going to have to go through the Turkish banking system, which has some of its own problems. And then you're going to have to get cash on the ground to get taken over the border into Iran. The geopolitical issues are actually what cause the most problems in in these supply chains, in these routes. What's really poetic about blockchain and about blockchain in this specific use case is that we talk about blockchain and its original ethos and kind of the, you know, the second block in the Bitcoin blockchain is about, um, the, is hashed to it is the, the what is it, the, the newspaper from The Guardian that says, you know, banks receiving their second bailout. The humanitarian sector is, is, the need for finance in the humanitarian sector and the need for cross-border finance in the humanitarian sector fits in so perfectly with blockchain, because what we're talking about is deleting the banks, deleting the governments as much as possible from the system, taking these transactions, taking these financial transactions, these financial donations and saying, "Okay, we have a technology that allows for us to trust that this money is going to reach its appropriate place without needing to rely on a bank or a government that is causing problems in this humanitarian uh, finance chain right now. I I don't know what could be a little bit more uh, or what could be at all more in line with the purpose of blockchain than doing something like that.
0: Ethereum is inherently a, polit- a political technology, it, it, but it sounds like a lot of the things that you encounter are political and policy stumbling blocks even more than technological. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, we 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 have a very good understanding of what we can do with technology. I mean, I, I, I mentioned this to you before. We know When someone comes to us and say, okay, can you build this? Will this work? We can almost instantly say, yes, that will work with the technology. Then a lot of the research and the design becomes, okay, but how are people actually going to use this? What are the government regulations in the, in the country where this is going to be deployed? What are the policies that are needed to ensure that people are using this? Is this technology while technically plausible, will it work based on the the environment that it's surrounded by? Um, We have started taking an approach in which we can say to organizations, this won't work unless you are willing, as a major government, if you are willing to take these policy steps, then maybe this will work. But a lot of the time, blockchain, you know, it can be preventative. It can be a support mechanism. It can be a tool for organizations to use. It's not going to yet solve. The greater political issues are the greater, the greater international relations issues that cause instability in a lot of these regions. We have started to build out a policy practice with the social impact team at Consensus who, who are, you know, we're very dedicated to saying, OK, we understand the technology. Now let's make sure that we have a complete understanding of the regions and the societies and the policy that this is going to be deployed in so that we know how to best incentivize people, so we know how to work the technology and design the technology in ways that will enable individuals to actually use this successfully and to help them on the ground.
0: So I, I, I hear you saying that you know, one, one major goal is to like, filter stuff out up front so that you can be more confident that it will have a chance to actually get into production So if I were to categorize by research, proof of concept, and then like proof of concept heading into production, do you have any any color as to what percent of projects that you're working on right
1: now would fall into each bucket? 70% in research and design, 25% in use case ideation, uh, and about 5% in really early stage POC development. I'm somewhat surprised that you say that the major
0: hiring need right now is is engineers then. It's it almost sounds like you would need more like the consultants to they can go in and sit down and talk to people.
1: We are not 75% in the research and design space because we want to be. We are we are looking to kind of take that 75 20 breakup and, and make that much more of a 33 33 33 if possible. <laughs> But again, it's the nature of the ecosystem as well. Not only is the Ethereum ecosystem still very young and there are still a lot of developers getting involved and more and more engineers learning every day, we are still very heavily focused on the best practices and the research of this technology for social impact. So I think it makes sense that that is kind of the breakdown of where we're at with our projects. Um, But as the technology matures, as the humanitarian sector gets a little bit more understanding of, of the space I think that we'll start to see those those numbers even out over the next couple of years.
0: So it sounds like that's probably one goal. I, I was going to ask you, what are your goals for the next, you know, let's say twenty four months? It sounds like that is one goal is to see a things get into production and, and see the, some of the a more even categorization. How else do you see things
1: evolving? Most of the innovation is being driven by social entrepreneurs. And most of the actual on-the-ground deployments are being undertaken by humanitarian organizations. I think what's really important for the continued success of Ethereum as a social impact tool is that those two sides start to look a little bit more eye-to-eye, that they start to come together. And again, this goes back to the coalition and what we're trying to do with the coalition is that if we really want to see impactful projects on the ground, we need to make the pie bigger. Instead of saying, okay, like, The humanitarians are focused on this sector and the social entrepreneurs are focused on this sector. We need to bring all of their ideas together and really make sure that they're constantly communicating and collaborating and understand that they are aligned in what they're trying to achieve. That is still one of the major focuses we have for the next 24 months. Um, It's bigger than consensus. It's bigger than the social impact coalition. It's this idea of, okay, how do we empower the whole concept of social entrepreneurship, the whole concept of humanitarian work to come together? and be more innovative, be more successful in their implementation, start thinking outside of the box, and really change the way those two demographics work towards social impact today. We want consensus, we want social impact on consensus to be a guiding light for that. We think that we have um, enough of a reputation and enough of a network that we can really be a force that is Not only continuing to continuously developing proof of concepts and, and getting stuff deployed on the ground with humanitarian organizations, but also supporting the social entrepreneurs, advising social entrepreneurs, helping them understand and design their projects. But most importantly, how can we make sure that we're all working together? One of the problems that I've seen over the last year is that social entrepreneurs and humanitarians almost refuse to see eye to eye. They think that they know best. They think that their solution is best. Humanitarian organizations are not always the best innovators. Social entrepreneurs can be very innovative. Um, humanitarian organizations are very good at getting large amounts of aid deployed over large geographical locations. Social entrepreneurs, not so much. They have difficulty scaling in, in these regions in these with these issues. And I think there's a lot of room for overlap and a lot more room for them to come together and say, okay, We are united in accomplishing this goal of um, alleviating poverty in in X location or of ensuring that everyone in, in this country is vaccinated against malaria. How do we work together to do that? How do we empower them to know that they should work together? That's a huge goal of ours, is really starting to change the dialogue about humanitarian work and about social entrepreneurship from one of competition. Take a little bit of the arrogance away from the two sides and get them to understand that if they want to really be impactful, they have a set of skills that go together very, very well. So how do we how do we get them to work together is, I think, one of the biggest questions facing us over the next 24 months, um, not just as consensus, but as anyone interested in social entrepreneurship and humanitarian work. I think there's a major change that we're seeing to start play out in this sector. Um, but we have to make sure that that's something that we're constantly talking about and constantly working for. If I had my my dream in the next 24 months, what would it be? My dream for the next 24 months would be for consensus, the broader social impact coalition to really work together as social entrepreneurs and humanitarian organizations and deploy Four, five, six on the ground solutions, whether it's consensus building them or another organization building them, but under the lens of the, the broader social impact coalition.
0: I mean, I think that's, yeah. know, go ahead. I
1: said, there's, there's, it's important to clarify that at this point in time, there's really only one working humanitarian blockchain solution on the ground. Um, there are a lot of experiments, and a lot of pilots that have been run, but only the World Food Program has really deployed something that has uh with again quotations because it was just a pilot but like truly exceeded expectations and and um and worked well um there but that's also because they basically took the simplest possible use case of just deleting a bank from the system and said okay we can do that with blockchain let's do it which was awesome are there any other good learnings
0: that have come out of the pilots that we that we haven't talked about
1: yeah. First and foremost, we are not yet ready to deploy self-sovereign identity in, in low infrastructure impoverished regions. It's far too dangerous, and humanitarian organizations will will tell you that in a heartbeat. And that's been that has been our biggest takeaway from this: is that if we're talking about deploying a solution on the ground, pretty much anywhere outside of the high infrastructure locations of the world, self-sovereign identity is not yet feasible for social impact uh, and can really endanger the people you're trying to help they don't have the ability to protect their private keys they don't have the ability to recover their private keys someone can still walk up to them hold a gun to their head and manipulate the the system very easily and that's something to be really cognizant of because everyone everyone wants to do self-sovereign identity for refugees they want to do self-sovereign identity for for oppressed populations um, i think that's a, a very it's uh, a very worthy goal for us to be working for as a space over the next five or six years But there's a lot of infrastructure issues that have to be solved in order to get there.
0: Is there something I've missed? Is there anything that you think would make sense to
1: talk about? One of the most important things to remember with this technology and remember right now is that most people, 99% of people who get involved with blockchain get involved with Ethereum. They get involved with it because they see its potential to impact their own sector, to make people's lives better, to make the world more equitable in one way or another. That's the dialogue. That we need to be pushing as a space, as an ecosystem. We can't let the development of the technology be be driven by this latest token craze or, you know, fintech regulators describe or, or, or Joseph Stiglitz saying that Bitcoin needs to be regulated out of existence. That's not the conversation that we need to be having. We need to be driving the conversation away from price and away from cryptocurrency and more towards Blockchain as a platform, as a piece of technology that we can use to empower individuals, democratize systems, increase transparency, increase efficiency. And I I, I do genuinely believe that the best way to do that is to shed light on all of the social entrepreneurs, all the humanitarian organizations using the technology to do social impact, to employ better solutions, to empower people across the globe. Um, That's what I think we need to focus on. If we want the technology to succeed and we want the space to succeed, let's focus on helping people understand the problems that it's currently solving let's focus on uh, on educating people on the on the not not the potential impact of blockchain but the actual impact that we're already having today what problems are we solving what issues are we alleviating I, I think that that really does need to be the driving the conversation driver for the technology as a whole is what are the problems we're solving how are we doing it who's doing it how do I get involved? If we keep that in mind, we'll continue to see a lot of really cool innovation in the space over the coming years.
0: Hey Amen. If someone is interested in getting involved in the, in the Blockchain for Social Impact Coalition, or if they are a, a designer or, or developer who wants to work with you, how should they get in touch with you?
1: We have job postings on the website if you're looking for a job or you're interested in in coming on. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I love Twitter. Twitter is kind of my space where I can just be a lunatic. Beyond that, I mean, get involved, get engaged, go to meetups, go to conferences. Just keep talking to people in the space. If you have an idea, share it with somebody, sit down, really start to hash it out and design it. Take action. We have to be active.
0: Ben, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for the work that
1: you're doing. Thank you for having me. It was great. It's, it's always nice to, to sit down and just talk for a day of work. <laughs>